Today's Bible reading is taken from the second letter to Timothy, starting at verse 4. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words that flow from my mouth make sense because they are inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have come to the end of a seven-week series on Paul's letters, letters to Timothy. If you've missed any of the last uh, seven sermons, uh, you can always catch up online anytime. Uh, but it has, actually has been a real joy uh, to preach all the sermons on this second letter uh, to, to Timothy. Um, hopefully, you could say, I've fought the good fight, finished the race, and kept the faith. Um, in my last week uh, of my last week or so, in my daily devotional, um, it's also been through the letters of Timothy, uh, which has not only been a happy coincidence, but a reminder of the power of these words when I pl- apply them in my life. If you were here uh, when I first uh, began on to Timothy, I mentioned that this letter was written for the purpose of personal connection, personal challenge, and personal conviction. Our challenge, our responsibility, is to find our own connection, challenge, and conviction in these words. When we get to this last chapter of this amazing letter, we find a tone that is more personal and more passionate than any other section of the pastoral letters, which are 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. And we see Paul crying out in pain, the pain of rejection, but also crying out in joy for a faithful and a faith-filled life. I also mentioned in that first week that in this letter we find some of the most familiar and quoted passages in Scripture. And verse 7 is one of the best-known ones. We make this declaration at our baptism and it's often the text chosen for funerals. So in many ways, this passage does bookend uh, a Christian's journey. In my second year of theological training, 
I was pulled aside by the minister at the church in which I was placed after preaching one Sunday. And his words were, Stuart, your sermons have been great, but do you realise that this is the third sermon in a row where you've used a sporting analogy? Not everyone likes sport. I was shocked. Who doesn't like sport? But if you remembered uh, the passage uh, from last week uh, that uh, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed, I find some sort of um, justification from 2 Timothy 4.7 that even God likes sport. I'm not sure who God supports, but I think God likes sport. (laughs) Seriously though, the reason that I do often use sport in my sermons and other parts of my life is because it has had such a powerful impact on my own life. Outside of my faith and my relationships, the two top influences in my life are music and sport. For us personally to find our own connection, challenge and conviction, we have to let God connect with the things that we find connection to whatever areas of life that may be. So today I do want to focus on this familiar uh, passage with a classic three-point sermon, fight, finish and keep. Uh, But just to make it a little bit colourful and interesting, I've given each of these, these three points their own theme song, mixing together my two passions. So the first one... Hearing this theme song and using the word fight, I'm immediately envisioning a classic boxing match with two contenders going toe-to-toe with only one victor saying that they are the greatest. And Paul is presented in his letters fighting such battles, contending with opponents who reject the truth and particularly those who promote what he calls a counterfeit gospel. Throughout our lives, we will be called to testify, to stand up and to act. And these moments pop up in all sorts of circumstances, maybe around the dinner table, maybe while we're shopping at the shopping centre, maybe when we're talking to a healthcare worker, a teacher or a counsellor, maybe in a debate at a board meeting, a question in a job interview, or a test in a classroom. We will be called to witness, and that can often seem to be a battle. But is this what Paul is meaning by using this expression? History often tries to present us with a narrative of a just war when the reality of humanity battling humanity, where the outcome leads to death, destruction, oppression and domination, is never godly. So when I use this classic imagery of fighting, it sits uncomfortably with me and it might also sit uncomfortably with you. 
If we look at the original Greek, agona, it does mean conflict, contention and fight. But it also can mean an effort or even an anxiety or just to compete or to run a race or any type of sporting event. Paul is presented in this metaphor as a victor, complete with the wreath or the crown that's given to champions. And this sort of imagery was used in the Greco-Roman world also as a metaphor for living a moral life, a good life. Paul's victory is at least in part one of having lived a Christ-like life with integrity up until the very end, making him an appropriate example to Timothy. But it strikes me that while Paul regularly does stand up for his belief in Jesus, and in fact, this letter sees him writing from prison at the end of his life for this very cause, his letters also reflect that the most significant battle that Paul continues to fight is one within himself. At the place where I would be wanting to say, if you've only done what you should have, then my life would be a lot easier, we find Paul actually offering a blessing to those who he hasn't always agreed with or hasn't always shared a ministry with, who haven't always responded to his call. The verses that we skip over, if you want to go for your homework and and read them, it's almost like a a list of grievances that Paul has for different people of what they should or shouldn't have done. And we get this sense of this internal battle going on within Paul, like that he does want some sort of payback or retribution. But when we get to verse 16, he comes to a realisation that while he is capable of frustration, he is also called to surrender. I mentioned last week that if we let it, Scripture can read us. But, This is a big fight. It's confronting. It challenges our identity, past, present and future. I know I have a natural inclination to be defensive and to even be combative when I feel like I'm being attacked by others. But when I allow scripture to read me before I read others... I found that it's allowed me to be much more gentle in my approach, to be more aware of the conflict going on within the person that I might normally name as an opponent. It helps me to see them also as a child of God who's fearfully and wonderfully made. I do wonder if we follow the example of the founders of our faith, like St. Paul and the saints throughout the ages, 
and allowed scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit to read us, whether we might find that we were more ready to not only tolerate but also serve in a world that does not always share our passions, our belief or our perspective. So ready for number two? Ironically, the clip of that composer playing his famous song, um, he's got a cigarette on the side of the piano while people are running <laughs> in the background. Uh, wouldn't happen today, I'm sure. Finish. Teteleka in the Greek means to end, to complete, to execute, to conclude, to pay a debt, to accomplish, to expire to finish, to go over, to pay. The race for Paul hasn't been a sprint. It hasn't also been a marathon. It's been more like a steeplechase involving multiple hurdles, pitfalls and rigorous opposition. It's a race that will end up in his death which Paul describes in this letter as a form of priestly libation. And libation is not a word that we commonly use. If you ask somebody to go out for libations, then you generally would accept. But in this context, it means a sacrifice. He sees his death as a sacrifice. It's also a race where he's put his greatest effort and he's done his unquestionable best. At the end of a Christian life, what matters is not material wealth or social status, but rather being able to share Paul's confidence that we have lived a Christ-like life and done our best at it, even though we will have failed numerous times along the way. In my role, I've had the privilege a number of times of reflecting with many faithful Christians at the end of their life. And there's one commonality, and that's a sense of reflection on what has mattered most. Not one single time has what mattered most been a material possession. Not one single time in my experience has it been an achievement in life. It's always been some sort of combination or both of their relationship with God and their relationship with the people in their life. I think in our culture, we don't give our mortality enough consideration. Often the only time it happens is when something bad happens or we're right at the end and we feel a sense of helplessness and our inability to change the situation. But knowing our commission is to finish. I wonder if we should be considering our mortality more regularly. 
I know it's Halloween next week, and I don't mean like we should be dressing up um, in that sort of sense. But should we be waiting for All Hallows' Eve and All Saints' Day to be thinking about what happens after we die? Perhaps we need to develop a sense where we can continuously reassess and address our attitudes and our priorities. And this also is part of letting Scripture read us. Paul trusts the faithfulness of the one who judges justly. He sees his life within a larger framework of his trust in the Lord who has and will continue to overcome. For Paul, this is not the end. While he finishes well, he knows there is so much more to hope in. And final final theme song from a track from a, a band of my uh, my childhood growing up, one of the greatest hair bands, Bon Jovi. Keep the faith, keep the faith. Lord, we've got to keep the faith. Oh, I could have let that one run a bit longer. Keep, tetalaika. Interestingly, the, the, the Greek words uh, for finish and keep only have two letters that are different uh, in, it, in the same places. Also means hold fast. Timothy is identified as a third generation Christian who stands in the Christian heritage of both his grandmother and his mother. It made me think through the week and ask a question, I wonder what generation Christian I am. It's something my family doesn't really talk past, uh, my grandparents. But it makes me wonder throughout the generations, how has faith been passed down and handed down? But for Timothy, since his childhood, he's been the recipient of Christian teachings and practices. And this is why... When Paul writes about faith, it's not just an individual belief in Jesus. The way that it's written in Paul's letters is that faith is also a long tradition of beliefs and practices that are passed down from generation to generation. The faith that is written of represents a legacy a legacy of traditions, of practices and beliefs, which Paul reflects in this letter, he has endeavoured to be committed to since his conversion. He knows that he hasn't always been successful and he also knows that it hasn't always been easy or successful for Timothy, but he urges him to hold fast. Much of Paul's confidence comes from his own experience of God standing by him and strengthening him in times of his own persecution and abandonment. But this passage also captures a sense of joy, 
a joy that you can find in a life of service to others in Jesus' name. Even when we do find things and even when we do find people frustrating and challenging. I sat around uh, the table um, at our regional bishop's uh, home on Tuesday for an area dean's meeting. Um, It doesn't happen very often, but I spoke last. Um, And we went around to the table and and each of the area deans shared the challenges and the issues um, of the parishes and the clergy within their their area going around the whole of the southern region of our diocese. And as they were talking, a thought popped into my head and I, I shared this with our staff through the week and I also shared it with our parish council. As they were talking, I thought, maybe it was a Holy Spirit sense of perspective in my world. Most of these churches would love to have our problems. Now, I'm very well aware that I have and we have as a church a number of problems and issues. But... There is so much more in which we can find joy. What we have here in the Anglican Church in the southern region of Queensland at the very least is unique. There is no other church that can share a story like ours. There's also lots of stories that we can't share of joys that we sometimes easily overlook in those other churches. But in our context right here, there's so many things that we can be excited about. Our challenge is to continue to recognise God's presence that we might not get caught up in ourselves, in our own feelings. Yeah, I try really hard not to show it, but yeah, I sometimes get frustrated but not to get caught up or lost in those frustrations that we might miss our direct commission to serve. And for this, we are to hold fast. We have an amazing legacy. It's a legacy that we are benefiting from right now. But we're equally challenged what will be our legacy that we will pass on, not just to the people who are already here, but those who are not here yet. In the end, the gospel in Paul's words to Timothy lies in his assurance that withstanding the trials of life, those who follow Christ are never ultimately alone. Rather, we are accompanied by the one in whose presence We find rescue and we find haven and we find hope. Fight, finish and keep really just is another way of saying seek first and find hope. Lord, I pray that we might continue to fight the good fight, finish the race and keep the faith. Help us to be aware of your love powerfully at work in our lives. 
Help us to allow scripture to continue to read us so that we might be more effective servants. May people see your love through our actions. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand?